this episode of Trek in Time, we're going to talk about how the beat goes Klingon. That's right. <laughs> we're talking about Enterprise Season 4, Episodes 15 and 16. What? <laughs> and Divergence. That's right, folks. We're taking your suggestion. I forget which one of you brilliant listeners made this suggestion. Maybe it was all of you. Maybe Matt and I are the only dullards in the room. It's we have the smartest. We have the smartest listeners of any podcast listener out there. That's right. We absolutely That's do. Right. Because somebody or somebody's made suggestions yeah. along the lines of, "Hey, when you have a multi-part story, maybe talk about it all at once." Ha <laughs> ha! Yeah. And here we are with episodes yeah. fifteen and sixteen of season four of Enterprise. The episodes being Affliction and Divergence a two-parter focusing on the Klingons. Welcome everybody to Trek in Time, where, as usual, we're watching every episode of Star Trek in chronological order and placing it in its context in history. So currently we're talking about Enterprise because we're still in early days. And we're talking as a result about 2005 because that's when the show originally broadcast. And who are we? Well, I'm Sean Farrell. I'm a published author. I write some sci-fi. I write some stuff for kids. And with me is my brother, Matt. He's the guru behind Undecided with Matt Farrell, which takes a look at emerging tech, its impact on our lives. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. We actually took a short break, which most people won't even be aware that we did. <laughs> Sean went on a vacation, which I'm sure you really liked. <laughs> yes, I did. It was a quick week weekend getaway, basically, to a warm climate where I don't know if it's visible on the video. But if you compare this to the last episode, this might look a little pinker or tanner. I'm Irish. Pink I don't skin. really tan. I just go pink. Pink skin. Pink skin. That's me. Living up to that enduring insult, basically. Um, <laughs> yeah. But Matt, I know you. we like to share comments from previous episodes. So why don't we jump into the comments? Well, from the last episode, the ANR, we have one from PaleGhost69 who said... Would you say this episode has more or less holes than a pack of Andorian ice bores? That should be a line in the show. Yes, it should. That should be a <laughs> line that a character says in a Star Trek show. That's well absolutely done, fantastic. <laughs> well done, Pale Ghost. The second comment, which was from AJ Chan, wrote, by 2005, we had seen Vulcan. What's the name? Kronos. Kronos. Yeah. I, yeah. We had seen Kronos and Romulus many times. It was nice to see the homeworld of a species that was introduced back in the original series. I liked how they fleshed out the Andorians through the whole series. Seasons one through four, the Andorians were one of the most consistent bright spots of Enterprise. I agreed with this comment wholeheartedly. Absolutely. And I think it's because they had never explored the Andorians before. It yeah. was it was still in the lore of Star Trek, but it was brand new to all the fans. So there was something new and engaging there, but the fact they kept defaulting back to Vulcans and to Klingons and all these other species that we knew backwards and forwards, upside down and all different kinds of ways, it, it was like a missed opportunity. And every time the Andorians were involved, my little antenna would perk up. I, I always got really excited when they were in an episode. Yeah, it's an interesting comment. And it's interesting to think about the reasons for some of these changes. And that takes us in a weird uh, indirect route to today's episode one of the reasons why some of these species that are referenced in the original series aren't as explored in the original series and waited until next generation or later to actually be explored in these ways was sometimes because of cost and mm -hmm. it was in my research on these particular episodes which one of the byproducts of this two-parter is Manny Cotto again we've said this practically every episode of our discussions around season four was trying to build a bridge between enterprise and the original series. He, of course, when he was making these in 2005, at that point, nobody's thinking, Hey, in 15 years or so, there's going to be another star Trek resurgence. And we're going to be doing a show between enterprise and the original series. Nobody had that on their radar, of course, at that time. So he is trying to create some explanations for various aspects. Why would the Vulcans change? What were Andorians like? He has the opportunity to explore all of that. Why were some of these things not done in the original series? Sometimes it was because of cost. 
the reason the Klingons were originally introduced in the original series was because the Vulcan Romulan look was a little too expensive to do regularly. The prosthetic ears, the, the wigs for the, the haircuts and all of that, it was determined it was a little too expensive to have Romulans be the main villain again and again and again. They needed something cheaper. And what was cheaper than literally putting some shoe polish on the faces, some Mongolian outfits on your, on your actors, and saying, here are the Klingons. So the Klingons are introduced in the original series as basically just makeup-covered humans. Then in Next Generation, we see the evolution of the Klingons based on what happened in the original motion picture, the Star Trek motion picture introduced Klingons with a look for the first time with the whole prosthetic face ridges and all of the extra accoutrements that we came to anticipate from Klingons. So then you have 20 years of film mm -hmm. and TV making and Enterprise comes along and Enterprise also uses the ridges and the whole Klingon garb that we're accustomed to now as more modern, meaning 21st century viewers. And there becomes the question, well, what about the original series? There is a yeah. part of me that is always willing to say, well, the original series was made in the 60s. That's yeah. why they look different. They were made in the 60s. Big deal. There's yeah. also the question of like, well, why does a teleporter work differently in the original series than it does in Next Generation? Because it was the 1960s. The, the special effects were different. I'm fine with all, with all of that, but there is a core to the fan community that looks for explanations. And so there were all sorts of fan created theories for years around explaining that difference. This mm -hmm. is part of the thing I love about Trek fandom is that there's all these little ways of tying these threads together to say, well, it's not really a contradiction. And mm -hmm. they create these little networks of of explanations one of them being well perhaps on the klingon homeworld there are different regions where people look a little bit different no different than humanity we have regions of earth where people have much darker skin people are taller people are shorter there's different facial features so there was this explanation of well on the klingon homeworld there must be a region and there must be different sects of communities that serve in different ways and so We've seen the original series Klingons and they came from one part of Kronos and the other Klingons come from another, but that wasn't good enough for Manny Cotto. So no. here they come with an explanation <laughs> in this episode for why do, Klingons, <laughs> why do Klingons completely unnecessary. not have face ridges? And so we'll get into that conversation later, but I think it's an interesting to jump back to what spurred on my, my little, uh, review of the history right there. I think the Andorians were not explored probably because back in the 1960s, the first time they showed an Andorian, they were expensive. the first time they showed a Tellarite, the two other species that are part of the formation of the Federation, the makeup on them was difficult and probably expensive. And it was probably deemed not worth going back and revisiting just from a cost perspective. Sure. So yeah. here we are in 2005 and Manny Cotto is like, Here's what I'm going to do and jumps in with both feet. We have under Manny Cotto, not only the continuation of the strong Andorian storyline, which is introduced very early in enterprise. He revisits the Tellarites in an episode we've discussed recently, which I thought was a really nice depiction of what their culture is like. And now we've also seen the Andorian homeworld. And so he's able to do all these things drives that, that vehicle of like, here's what I'm going to do maybe a little too fast and a little too far when you hit these episodes. <laughs> so maybe it's a little, little too much oomph in that this is the goal fast and the of like, let of, me explain. <laughs> yeah. Let me explain away all these question marks from the original series and the gaps between the two. Right. This might've been one that was maybe left a little bit unnecessary as Matt just said, but we'll get into that. That noise in the background, of course, is the read alert that can mean only one thing. We're under attack. No, wait, that's not what it means. It can mean one of two things. We're under attack or it's time for Matt to read the Wikipedia description. I'm going to assume it's time for the latter. Matt, take it away. This is, I will remind everybody, two episodes that we're talking about. So this isn't just Wikipedia's magic. This is a little bit of Sean's magic. 
I <laughs> kind of crush these two things together. And uh-huh. Matt, best of luck. Thank you, Sean. Affliction and Divergence are the 15th and 16th episodes of the fourth season of the American science fiction television series Star Trek Enterprise and originally aired on February 18th and 25th, 2005, respectively. I can't believe you kept the basic structure intact. Hats off to you, sir. Yeah, thanks. Set in the 22nd century, the series follows the adventures of the first Starfleet Starship Enterprise registration NX-01. In this two-parter, Trip transfers to Columbia, in part because of his feelings for T'Pol. The crew investigate the kidnapping of Dr. Phlox, John Billingsley, and the ship is attacked by the new type of Klingon. Phlox is taken to a Klingon colony to work on a cure for a plague whose effects include the disappearance of the Klingon's cranial ridges. T'Pol and Trip experience psychic linking, but don't realize it's not just dreaming. And Reed's loyalty is tested by a mysterious commander sending him orders to lie to Captain Archer. Columbia arrives so that Commander Tucker can be transferred to conduct repairs on Enterprise's warp engine before it overloads. The two ships then pursue uh, to lead <laughs> a lead. <laughs> I'm, sorry, I'm breaking it's, down it's, here. It's grammatically correct, but it is tricky to read. The two ships then pursue a lead to a Klingon research outpost where Phlox is under pressure to cure the virus that the Klingons created from augmented human DNA. I got a slow clap you, Sean, for weaving those two together. That's job well done. Thank you. Thank you so much. You could could write for Wikipedia. (laughs) Hey, here's hoping. (laughs) I keep sending them my resume and my list of books. I don't get many responses. So as Matt just mentioned, these episodes originally aired in February, the 18th and the 25th. Affliction, which is episode number 15, was directed by Michael Grossman. Story by Manny Cotto, teleplay by Mike Sussman. And guest appearances include John Shook as Antak, James Avery as General Caval, Ada Maris as Captain Erica Hernandez, Eric Pierpont as Harris, Terrell Tilford as Marab, Kate McNeil as Commander Collins, Derek Magyar as Commander Kelby, and Seth MacFarlane as Ensign Rivers. Seth MacFarlane, yes, that's Seth MacFarlane's. And I would also point out that we have James Avery. Yes, that's right. Uncle Phil from Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. I kept wanting this Klingon to turn to people and give them fatherly advice. (laughs) And as for Divergence, this episode aired on February 25th. It's directed by David Barrett, a first-time director on Enterprise, written by Judith Reeves-Stevens and Garfield Reeves-Stevens. Guest appearances include Kristen Bauer as Lieutenant Leneff, James Avery again as General Kava, John Shook as Antak, Terrell Tilford as Marab, Eric Pierpont as Harris, Ada Maris as Captain Erica Hernandez, and somebody I'm going to point out here at the beginning as a high spot for me in this episode, Wayne Grace as Fleet Admiral Krell. I thought his performance was fantastic. What was going on at the time of the original broadcast of these between the February 18th and the 25th? Well, Matt started off singing Let Me Love You by Mario, but he ended one week later on One Two Step, Sierra featuring Missy Elliott. Matt, you want to give us a few bars of that? Great. And at the movie theater for two weeks, Everybody was lining up to see Will Smith's movie Hitch. Hitch broke 51st Dates record of $39 million for the highest weekend debut for a romantic comedy. It is not available on streaming, but is available for rent if anybody wants to go see Will Smith fall in love. And on television, well, over this two-week period, Star Trek earned about 3 million viewers per week. That's in comparison to ABC, which was getting about 10 million viewers via Eight Simple Rules or America's Funniest Home Videos. Joan of Arcadia was strong with 8 million viewers on CBS in both weeks. The Bernie Mac show was earning between 5 and 4 million on Fox. Dateline NBC on NBC was getting well above those other shows at about 12 million viewers. And then the WB was just beating Enterprise. What I like about you and Reba, that's right, Reba, were both earning a little bit above the 3 million viewers that Enterprise was getting. And in the news, well, a rough period for people in a Indian Ocean tsunami. 
it's discovered that the tsunami that hit the Indian Peninsula in 2004 uncovered an ancient city that was discovered near the coastal town of Mahabalapuram in India. And a number of blasts hit Shia mosques in Baghdad, leaving 27 dead and 60 wounded the day before the Shia holy festival of Ashura. So things were not going well in Iraq. A week later, it would be announced that the BTK killer was arrested. Dennis Lynn Rader is an American serial killer known as the BTK. He named himself that for bind, torture, kill. The BTK strangler or BTK killer. Between 1974 and 1991, he killed 10 people in Wichita and Park City, Kansas, and sent taunting letters to the police and media outlets describing the details of his crimes and mocking them for not being able to find him. After a decade-long hiatus, he resumed sending letters in 2004, which led to his arrest and subsequent guilty plea. He's currently serving 10 consecutive life sentences at the El Dorado Correctional Facility. So into our discussion about these two episodes, Matt and I will be, I don't think we're going to give much care about referencing what happens in which episode. I think we're going to view it very much like a one solid storyline. And if anybody hasn't already watched part two, I recommend jumping back and watching part two before listening to this, if you're interested in avoiding spoilers. The other thing I would suggest is if anybody is interested in weighing in on the conversation in the comments, feel free to, if you want to reference particular episodes, but I wouldn't worry too much about that. I think this discussion really does reflect what the suggestion from our listeners and viewers was. We really need to view this as a cohesive whole. And this is a little bit different than like when we get into a storyline like on Discovery, where one episode does lead directly into another episode, but we can't watch the entirety of Discovery and have one big meta conversation around that. This is a two-party that really does end on a cliffhanger and then picks up right where it left off. So it really is one story. Yep. So to start off with, we have the Enterprise return to Earth and in preparation of the Columbia, which is the second ship of the new Starfleet, which is built along the same model as the Enterprise. The Columbia is getting ready to leave dock for the first time. It is still a few weeks away from being completed. The Enterprise returns not only for the ceremonies involving that, but so that Enterprise can drop off Lieutenant Reed, who in the previous episode asked for a transfer. His you mean personal Tucker? Di- I meant Tucker, excuse me, to transfer Tucker to Columbia. In the previous episode, Tucker had complained to Archer that he was not able to conduct his duties and he needs a change of location. And despite Archer's pleas to stay, Tucker was granted that transfer. And so he is going to become the chief engineer aboard the second ship of this new Starfleet. While that is underway, we see people getting shore leave back on Earth. And we have Hoshi and Flocks visiting their favorite restaurant in San Francisco. A nice callback because there's a previous episode from a few seasons earlier where they had a conversation about where to get the best Chinese food. And Phlox referenced a restaurant in San Francisco, which now we see them leaving that restaurant. And both of them are complaining that it's getting crowded. And Hoshi reveals it might yeah. be her fault. I love that little callback. Yeah. I love that it's this very charming little moment between the two of them where she's like, well, comms I'm a comms officers, officer. Officers talk. I'm able to get word out. So. She has spread (laughs) word about this restaurant to the point where lots of people from Starfleet were seen dining in the restaurant. On their way out, they are attacked by somebody who turns out to be Rigelians, and they kidnap flocks. And Hoshi, despite the fact that she is able to fight back particularly well against multiple attackers, is not able to stop it. And it takes a little bit of back and forth between... Archer and Hoshi and to Paul to figure out how to get the details of the attack out of Hoshi because she can't recall the details enough, which leads to the first time that we're seeing a member of the Enterprise crew undergo a Vulcan mind meld from to Paul. This, of course, would become fairly standard on the original series where we would see Spock regularly use the mind meld to various ends in various episodes. 
but T'Pol is hesitant to do it. How did you, I just curious about the mind meld. How did you feel about this introduction of like T'Pol, I think you should use this mind meld and T'Pol's willingness to do it. It felt a little too convenient that it was just like on a, like a switch got flipped and she was like, okay. But at the same time, we've seen her over several episodes, how she's kind of refinding her religion in a way yeah. with the new, the new book. And she's kind of refinding her Vulcanness, and she's gotten a little more Vulcan that we expect where she's a little more detached. Um, so it's like, it makes sense that she's more open to it. Cause it's part of that whole relearning she's doing. The one part I didn't like was the captain was like, oh, I still, I can teach you how to do this. Yeah. I still got memories of how to do that. And I yeah. was like, oh, come on. Really? Really? Yeah. yeah. Really? We didn't know. We didn't have to go there. That, that part bothered me. Um, but the fact that she did it didn't, wasn't too, it was, it felt a little quick, but at the same time, just remembering all the previous episodes, it made sense why she would be willing to try it. I did think it was neat to see her do it for the first time and how it was kind of not working at first. And then it finally clicked in. Yeah. So it was not like an instant. I get it the first try. It was nice. Uh, but to tie it back to all the, all the threads that you just described, how they got started. I really enjoyed the trip Tucker storyline of how yeah. different he was behaving on the Columbia versus yeah. how he behaved on enterprise. And it comes out over the course of his storyline of this B, B plot, why he's behaving that way, because yeah. he's trying to remain detached, doesn't want those friendships, those things that are causing him the pain on the enterprise. He just wants to be about business and nothing else. And he is like driving that crew, like nobody's business. And Seth yeah. MacFarlane shows up and I was going, what is happening right now? And I got very confused. And then yeah. just after I settled down, I was like, okay. I wanted him to drop weird, into but... a Stewie voice and be like, <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> How's that engine going? Is really uh, burning those data lithium crystals? Hmm? Yeah, yeah. But the the other the other plot line that they started with that wonderful conversation between uh, Phlox and Hoshi, I loved that. My disappointment here was Hoshi was very integral to the whole opening of this entire storyline. Yeah. And then she's basically taken on and put on a back burner, and we never see her again for the rest <laughs> of the episodes. Yeah. And it was like, what is going on with that? Yeah. What is going on with that? Yeah. It would have been nice if she so had been like showing up and being like, I feel personally responsible because of Phlox being kidnapped right next to yeah. me. And I yeah. really want to be a part of this. It would have been, it's it like her best been nice. Friend. It's like she's yeah. trying to help her, she's trying to help her best friend. It's like she should have been more involved in trying to help find him. But it was just like in the beginning, she kicks ass that fight yeah. scene. It's, it's awesome because it's like, you remember how when she almost died from that virus, how we talked about how, how they were actually starting to flesh out her character with all these yeah. backstories of how she was doing that poker game. And she actually has like a black belt and like karate or some other things. And like, yeah. We got to see some of that in action with her using those skills. And it was like, really cool. And who's Hoshi? Yeah. For the rest of the episodes. It was yeah, like it's disappointing. Very frustrating. Yeah, I agree about the speed with which the mind meld is is used. And I felt like they didn't do I kind of appreciate the subtlety, but I think it's maybe a little too subtle as to what role the mind meld has in the plot. I think that what they were mm -hmm. trying to do was in that moment. I agree with you. Archer's like, don't worry about it. I can teach you how to do it. I was just like, Ugh, that kind of like just rubbed me the wrong way. But I think what they were trying to do was during the process of it, she is advised, like lower your emotional barriers a little bit. Mm -hmm. I think that that is supposed to be the issue. She lowers her emotional barriers and creates inadvertently a psychic link between her and Hoshi and allows her strong psychic link that exists between her and Trip just because of their romantic entanglement yeah. to begin to bleed through. And I think that that was what was intended here. I think it could have still worked if it had been a little bit more into Paul's parlance. If she had been the one saying like, this is going to be difficult for me because I'm going to have to lower my emotional barriers. And I don't know what that's going to do considering I'm not doing this with another Vulcan. I'm doing this with a human. There could be repercussions. And it would have been nice, I think, if she had said to Hoshi, after this, you and I, based on my research, you and I may feel a little bit of consistency between each other over a little bit of time before the bear, before it begins to break down. So don't be disturbed if you experience something that feels like my presence, it will go away over time. I think that that would have been a better way of cueing mm -hmm. us in 
as to why what happens later happens because when Hoshi shows up and is like, I had a semi-romantic dream about Trip, I mm-hmm. was like, wait, what? Like the way yeah. it was brought up was, was out of left field. Out of left field. And it felt like yeah. like if you're a colleague with somebody, which is what they are, they're workplace colleagues. If I had a romantic dream about somebody I work with, I wouldn't go up to another person and say like, hey, you know what was weird? I had a romantic dream about Bob the other night. Like, like that's, <laughs> that's not appropriate. That's not appropriate conversation. And if it had been more in the vein of Hoshi going to, to Paul, I think it might've actually been kind of compelling if it had been Hoshi going to, to Paul and saying, you mentioned that you and I might have some kind of strange entanglement that would last for a few days after our mind meld and to Paul saying, yes. Yeah. And then Hoshi saying, I had a dream about trip. Is there something that is bothering you? Is there something that happened between the two of you that caused him to leave? That might've been a, that would have been a friend moment as opposed to Hoshi's very strange, just like, guess who had a sexy dream the other night? It was just like, (laughs) that's not, that's not how this should have come up. And I think that there was an, there was an alternative to it. But the elements of what was happening, I understood how they were supposed to interlock. So I was like, okay, it was a little clunky, but okay. Mm -hmm. So there's that whole storyline, which I view as one of the, the B there's multiple storylines in these two episodes and some of them start and finish in the first episode and some start and finish in the second. And then there are two main storylines that I think linger through both the trip to Paul transfer storyline overarches both. And the other one is of course, Flox's kidnapping. Flox is kidnapped and, and, but reads, reads, uh, largely I think is, um, it's resolved into the the second episode. Yeah. 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 The element of Flox's kidnapping is it turns out that there's a Klingon research outpost that is dealing with a outbreak of a virus. And, the enterprise begins to connect the dots between, and I actually really liked this aspect of the story, the they're following clues that are like, well, there was a, they identify because of the mind meld. Oh, it's Rigelian. There was a Rigelian ship that left earth. It was supposed to be going to this other colony. It went the wrong direction. Maybe we can follow some clues and they end up finding the Rigelian craft. It has been destroyed and everybody on board killed looking at the data of what destroyed the ship, Reed completely misidentifies who is responsible. And Reed has been effectively, um, he's been compromised. He's acting as an agent for a mysterious figure that we only see through communication. And it's a little mustache twirling. I, you know, like, I kept thinking, what if the guy that Reed is communicating with is in a bright office wearing something casual and just very kind of casually saying like, you've got to do these things that mm-hmm. to me would have lended an air of more mystery and nefariousness than what is a guy sitting in a room always at night well, <laughs> and he's in black. It's like, in it's like, black, he, he looks a like black the black leather or pleather outfit that goes up to his neck that makes him look a little Gestapo-ish and but they're doing it to they're doing it to take short, a shorthand it is a shorthand I this understand is the villain that. they're trying to take that visual shorthand to, so that they don't, don't have to spend time t- telling it in the story they can just like you immediately know oh this is a bad guy yes it's like i understand why they did it because that friday night aspect that we've talked about numerous times yeah they're trying to boil it down to make everything black or white easy to understand it's expedited storytelling. So it's like, I didn't like it either. I thought it was a little heavy handed. <laughs> I, I just <laughs> but, feel like there would have been such an interesting yeah. approach if it had looked a little bit more like personal communication, like somebody who looks yeah. like they're just jumping into a conversation to like, ch- you know, like follow up with Reed. How's Reed doing? You're back Talking on earth. Code. And then somebody saying like, you've got to do these things. And then it becomes like, who is this guy? Eventually, he references a code of the Starfleet charter, which is effectively a reference to section 31. This is the first now reference to section 31 that we get in this chronological viewing viewers of multiple truck Trek shows, 
on into the future, we'll understand that Section 31 makes a bigger appearance later on, and it is effectively their NSA, their CIA. It is a black ops operation that will do whatever it has to, including break the law and even in this case, working against what looks like working against Starfleet and Earth's best interest in the name of stability, in the name of protection. So they are telling Reed, you cannot share certain in details around what is happening with your own captain. And Reed lies as a result and says that he believes that there might be some Orion syndicate involvement in having destroyed the Rigelians. So the Enterprise is kind of spinning in space for a moment until they they are attacked, and they are attacked by a vessel that, for all intents and purposes, looks Klingon. But when they are boarded by these individuals and attacked, they don't look Klingon. They come across as, and this goes right back to the flashback of the original series that I talked about at the beginning of this episode, they look like they are just simply dark-skinned, long-haired attackers who are not easily identified at first until one of them is captured. And when analyzed, they find Klingon DNA. So now they have this different type of Klingon that they are not familiar with, and they are interested in connecting these dots. So how do we connect a dot from this mysterious new type of Klingon to what's going on with flocks? We see the research facility and we're informed that a new type of virus is tearing through the Klingon community. It's very interesting to me in 2005 to watch a story effectively about the pandemic and pandemic. It was such <laughs> a strange, it was such a strange sort of like, yeah, this is pretty wild. It was eventually we find out that the doctor who has suggested that flocks could provide solutions. And this doctor is very nicely played by John Shuck, who John Shuck has been in Star Trek before, in fact, playing Klingons. He has played a Klingon ambassador in Star Trek's, uh, I believe it's four and five. He, as a doctor, eventually reveals that he's responsible for the outbreak. He was doing research on using the augmented human DNA in creating improvements to the Klingon warrior cast, effectively looking for ways of creating augments that would have the higher intelligence and stamina and strength that Khan and the other augments exhibited. Phlox, upon hearing this, makes a very strong argument about you never would have been able to control them. It has effects on every part of the individual's personality, which would include aggression, which would include a total lack of being able to control them. They would have turned against you and they would have destroyed you eventually. But the byproduct of this in the short term was inadvertently one of the subjects who was tested with this DNA was actually carrying a virus, which then mutated and became airborne. Again, we're not talking about the pandemic. It just sounds like we are. Yeah. So this virus is now tearing through Klingon colonies and the Klingon response to this, as we have seen in previous episodes, when the Klingons yep. deal with an outbreak, they destroy the outbreak. They just crush it. We will remember that in an earlier episode this season, there's the aliens that are using the contagion of a, uh, of a vessel in a region of space that hadn't yet been explored. And they just watch how aliens respond to this viral issue. And the Klingons and the Cardassians were, yeah. were references to having just wiped out the infected. That was how they dealt with it. A very cold and calculated response. So yeah. the Organians in that episode were like, well, what will the humans do? Here we have now evidence of how Phlox is responding differently to this outbreak than the Klingons. The Klingons don't want to die. The Klingons want to find a cure, but they are also willing to sacrifice their own. They reference very casually when Uncle Phil, I'm sorry, no, it's James Avery as General Kava. When General Kava casually mentions, well, we started to do testing on our own soldiers when we ran out of prisoners. So this is what they've been doing. They are 
they're willing to sacrifice themselves. They're willing to sacrifice their own. And General Kavah is even willing to entertain why Fleet Admiral Krell has been ordered to destroy the very colony that they're in. He understands it. He's not afraid of death. So this new infection has multiple stages. They refer to three stages. And stage one is you lose your cranial ridges. Matt, you want to talk a little bit about infection and how it affects bone structure? Like literally <laughs> overnight. It doesn't. <laughs> this is this is the retconning that is completely unnecessary. It's completely unnecessary. I get why Manny Cotto and crew decided to go this right route because it's there's this fun playfulness about it of trying to explain away this this connection point between the original series and everything else. But this to me is just stupid beyond stupid, and it was just it it was so unnecessary the storyline of what's going on and like how they were experimenting with the dna and it's getting out of control and this virus all that stuff it's like i'm like okay this is cool this is fun i get to see flocks in action being flock science guy because he's got a reputation around the galaxy and everybody thinks he's awesome and so they kidnap him so they can help fix this problem great but the whole cranial ridges making them look like human like the bronzed humans yeah <laughs> the original series so unnecessary so completely unnecessary. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's what we're seeing. We're seeing now the retcon in full effect. I do like some of the dialogue in these episodes. I think the writing, you know, the, they're trying oh, to use the, the yeah. trying to convey a retconning story, but some of the moments between various enterprise crewmen and themselves is terrific. There is a lot of nice to Paul trip yeah. interaction when they end up having their psychic connection appears in the form of what they both think is either a dream or a daydream and a nice moment when they are finally able to reconnect in person and are dancing around this issue that both of them have had this experience, but neither one of them is willing in that moment to say like, I had a weird experience and you were there. If that conversation had taken place, it could have like fast forwarded uh, a relationship building issue but instead they're both dancing awkwardly around it in a very realistic way and i think that some of that writing is fantastic i really like the klingons in the in this research facility i liked the in, the interaction between john shuck and james avery i'd like john shuck's portrayal as this of this doctor who was a failure in his family's eyes as a result of becoming a medical practitioner i like flox's growing admiration for a doctor who is working in such in conditions where the medical field in the Klingon hierarchy is basically ignored. When your soldiers are expendable in the way that Klingons view their soldiers, what role does a doctor have? If you are taking somebody who was deemed as weak enough to become injured, what's the value in having somebody heal them? So this person's uh, relationship to research includes casually saying like, oh, you don't need to contact anybody for their database. We've stolen it. Like this is a doctor who has to work completely on his own using whatever means necessary. I got the impression that this research doctor has probably lives as a pauper because he uses whatever finances he can get a hold of to get a hold of equipment and information on his own without the support of the empire. I don't believe that there's a bureaucracy at work within the Klingon hierarchy that's helping him unless they the, have a direct relationship to the results. In this case, the augments. You're, you're hitting on all the, I agree with you just at a high level. I liked these two episodes. There's yeah. a lot to like about these two episodes. The writing is really smart on the main elements that you're hitting on. The acting is great. Like there's, there's a whole bunch of stuff to like, but yeah, there's also a bunch of just pure stupidity yes <laughs> like like what we just talked about already another one i wanted to bring up going right back to the columbia this is this is the same class of starship yeah. as the enterprise but we got to make it look different because it, it's like yeah. we don't want people to think they're just on the same set so we got to do something hold different. on a second let's put these are you tubes in the me, background are you telling me that you <laughs> think large strobing tubes in the back of a command center on a ship which might cause epileptic seizures among the crew 
are a like, bad idea. What are those? Yeah. Are they are they like warp conduits? Like what the what the hell are they supposed to be? And they're just like <laughs> blinking all the time. It's like, okay, you only did this to create a visual distinction between the Enterprise and Columbia. Because me as a viewer, I might get confused. Yeah. It's like, no, I'm going to see the people on the bridge. I'm going to know what ship I'm on. Yeah. You don't have to do something so obvious as that. It was just my favorite part of the change. Stupid. Yeah. My favorite part of the change was the telephone pole that's right next to the helm. Well, the, the, there's this, well, this, this also random, ties into, there's this random pole that's just there and it's like, it's got a little computer this, monitor on it. It's just like, what would that be for? You've got the helm right there. <laughs> the, the other thing that really drove me nuts was they had to get trip back onto the enterprise. Okay. But then they created this whole sequence of him having to tether to yeah. the other ship because there's this whole sequence, which is basically the movie speed. Because the Klingons that invaded the Enterprise put a put a uh, virus in their computer that took it over and made it so that if they went slower than warp five, the ship would explode. It's speed. And of <laughs> course, the only way we can stop this is Trip is the only one that can figure this out because there's nobody smart on the Enterprise that can figure this out. So it has to be Trip. And Trip has to be there in person for some reason because he can't talk somebody through what has to be done. He has to be the one that does this. So they have to get him over. But for some reason, they can't do a freaking transporter. Why doesn't transporter work? Nobody can really explain that. No, we have to shoot him down a tether to the other ship in a maneuver that's never been done before and will never be done again Again, because guess what? They have freaking transporters. They don't have to do this. And the thing that he does is he gets on board and restarts the computer. Wouldn't restarting the computer have just like taken them out of warp? We have seen so many ships just fall out of warp and it doesn't destroy the ships. It's like if somebody just reboot hit the hit the power button and rebooted the computer, the ship would have fallen out of warp. It wouldn't have exploded because the virus was shut down and all the stuff would have been fine. Why did he have to come across and tether across and do all this bullshit? It got me so angry. I was like, there was so much to like about these two episodes, and that entire sequence made no sense. It was nonsensical, and it was just there for some kind of visual excitement for that Friday night audience. And it was just dumb. I mean, am I wrong? To summarize for people who might have just joined us, Matt has just lost his mind. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I completely agree with you. I watched that entire sequence and I was just like, what a waste of time and resources. It's, yeah, I would have rather explored more of Flox's growing relationship with this Klingon doctor. Yeah. Which I think did have a lot to it that was well done in the episode. Yeah. But another another few episodes, another few conversations around that. You want to have the Klingons plant a virus that shoots the Enterprise up to warp speeds that will eventually rip it apart, forcing them to hard reboot the entire system, which drops them out of warp and does something to damage them temporarily, forcing them to kind of limp along until the Columbia can get to them, and then Trip can come over to help repair yeah. the damage as a result of that. There you I go. think all of that makes sense. There you go. But the yep. but what was done, I completely agreed with you. It was it was done as a homage to speed and an homage to their ability with special effects to create this look. Mm -hmm. But even having said that, there were moments where the special effects didn't look that great to me, and it felt a little cheap. Oh. There were a couple of sequence oh, moments where the two ships are flying in parallel and the warp fields are doing things. And I thought, this looks like a video game from 2005. This doesn't look like there even, was even Enterprise's own special effects from previous episodes. And later in the these two episodes, there's a space battle with multiple Klingons and two Starfleet ships that I thought was really well done. But the sequence of getting Trip on the tether from one to the other and the climactic ending where Reed yeah. has to, at the last moment, pull him aboard. He's literally in the shuttle bay. He could yeah. have untethered and jumped from the tether to the platform at any moment. But instead, he yep. climbs all the way up to Reed so that we can have this moment of tension. And at no point did it feel like real moments of tension. It was, for me, this was the Friday night-ish mm -hmm. moment of this of this episode where it was really like this was the kind of of calamity that you would see in the A-team. And I felt like, okay, this is just not doing anything. I'm this doesn't mean up, anything. I'm glad you brought up the, the special effects look cheap at times. There was one shot that just really rubbed me the wrong way because I know exactly how it was done and why it looked bad. But it was like when Trip was in the middle of the tether and the, the ships were coming at the screen 
and then it was like zoomed on him and then it zipped around him and then you saw the ships from behind going away mm -hmm. that was not 3d graphics that was not any no. of that stuff it was a still image of these two ships and all they did was just scale the images down so the perspective never changed it yeah was in a, it was in a fixed perspective just getting smaller and because of that your human brain realizes something's off yeah this it makes it look cheap uncanny because valley, they were doing yeah. a cheap special effect uh, yeah frustrating. unnecessary unnecessary special effects unnecessary um <laughs> pseudo danger for the ship to be in yeah. and again if if the danger is legitimately oh the ship might fly itself apart and you do that to endanger the crew and then they pull themselves and damage themselves as a result and it takes trip coming out on columbia to help remedy that i think that that's all fine ultimately though it is such a strange and abbreviated shortcut to getting trip who has been on the columbia for a week back aboard the enterprise and back aboard the Enterprise in a way that allows for more awkwardness between him and T'Pol, him mm -hmm. still pulling away, her unwilling to admit to him of where her feelings truly stand. Um, I understand why they're building all of that tension between the two of them. It's not unwanted from me as a viewer, um, mm -hmm. but some of it feels like, okay, there could have been more of that instead of this special yes. effects sequence. Um, so we end up following the research in the second half of this story. We end up following a lot of the research and we end up seeing a lot of Reed and the fallout between him and Captain Archer and Reed yeah, some is good stuff there, by the way. Yeah, there's a lot of good stuff there and Reed's conflict and Reed's history with section 31 is not again, here's another place where you could have had a little bit more. Like it's referenced that he was doing things all the way back to when he was an ensign and it might've been interesting. I would have actually appreciated if Archer had on his own been doing some research into Reed. And if there had been a conversation in which he says, I've noticed in like going to him and saying like, I noticed a lot of strange transfers in your past. I'm starting to look at them differently now than I did. And kind of like making these links of like, you've been doing this for a while. I think there could have been a really interesting spy game storyline mm -hmm. where it could have been Archer. I kept thinking about the movie, no way out where the person involved in the investigation of, is there a mole in the system is mm -hmm. themselves the mole. And I kept thinking like, what if there had been a storyline developed where there's concern that somebody within Starfleet may have taken flocks into a bad situation and Reed is tasked with putting these things together and Archer slowly begins to understand that Reed himself is compromised. I think that there could have been a really interesting cat and mouse story developed out of that. There's a sort of version of that. There are some nice conversations mm -hmm. around that. Archer having a face-to-face, -face, like you need to figure out where your loyalties are. You can't serve two masters. Reed gets out of this a little too clean in my, yes, does. in my regard. I think that this was an opportunity for Enterprise to do something that would have been a little more similar to their episodes where Picard in Next Generation hauls Worf out on the carpet with like, there's, there's, responsibilities here that you can't simply just jump back and forth between you need to pick a path. Um, I wanted something more with, with more teeth, uh, even if it was a demerit referenced in the record, something that yeah, would really yeah. knock Reed back a bit and be like, like you, you did, you did things that compromised the potential safety of the crew. Um, so that in my regard is, is a weak point in this storyline, but ultimately we're supposed to see Reed trying to struggle more than we're supposed to no see that situation. he's in a no win situation. Yeah. And the acting from Dominic Keating in this, I think is particularly good. I, his, this entire plot line, there are weaknesses in some of how it's com communicated to us as viewers but by and large i thought it was really compelling just like just like hoshi it was fun to get more depth to read 
yeah. and allow him to the performance is great the struggle is clear like he wants to help the captain but at the same time he's also he's obeying commands from a previous commander so it's like he's kind of caught between a rock and a hard place and it's he has no way to negotiate out of it and to talk about like having trip on board it kind of ties to that a little bit because there's that wonderful moment where the two of them help to get the enterprise out of danger and then when they come out of the room there's two security guards, guards to yeah. pick Reed up and trip is like wait what what's going on here he's like oh there's a misunderstanding with the captain and then he gets yeah. taken away and Reed's kind of i mean trip's standing there just completely befuddled like what is going on here yeah because like he's been gone for like days and suddenly <laughs> reads in the brig and like yeah. all this stuff has changed. I, I did like that aspect. That I did like that he also tried to bring with. it up with Archer. He tried to say like, what's going on with yeah. Reed? And Archer's was like, I yeah. can't talk about it. Yeah. But yeah. it's this, the the whole, there are a couple of scenes with, with Reed where he breaks down in tears, which I thought were mm -hmm. really compelling. There's the moment where he's in the brig where he's literally begging as Archer leaves the room. Like I can help. Like he's desperately trying to get back to good standing with the captain, but he doesn't know how to do it. And it takes yeah. finally a breakdown in the conversation where Archer is like, you got to set me up in conversation with this guy. You've, you've got to do that. And it's that that gets him out of this hole is he's able to set up a call where Archer communicates directly with this agent from section 31. And ultimately at the end of the episode, we get another moment of Reed being contacted and telling this guy, like, never contact me again. He severs the relationship. I understand why that scene looked the way it did, but again, it falls short for me. And what I wanted the final scene to be was Reed being contacted, saying something in the vein of like, my relationship with this is over and then ending the call. And then immediately reaching out through comms and saying, Captain Archer, can we talk? I wanted it to end with him saying like, I'm going to go right to yeah. Captain Archer and I'm going to tell him I was contacted again. That was to gonna, me would have gonna... demonstrated something that the show was saying needed to happen and it didn't happen in the way that made it clear that it was true. So that's where I, I, that's where been, I would have hoped. In my notes, I had the same thing. It's like, I wish during that conversation he had said to the guy, Anytime you contact me, I'm going to be re sending a recording of these calls to the captain, yeah. just so you know. Yeah. And like, and then it's like, even if he hadn't like called the captain, it's like just dropping some kind of mention of, I'm always going to inform the captain whenever you contact me. Yeah. Some form of that happening, I think would have been shown where this is heading in the future and yeah. making yeah. it very clear that there's, he's trying to mend that relationship with the captain. I really, I really like that. I really like that as an idea. And I really like, I mean, what if the conversation had been him seemingly like open to being contacted by this guy and say, Oh, and by the way, just to let you know that I will continue to share records of these calls with my captain. So like, feel free to reach out whenever and like, leave it yeah. almost in a positive, like, Hey, good news. I'm, I'm going to let Archer know about all of this and leave it yeah. with that as opposed to, you know, I understand the goal behind the scene as written and as and as portrayed, yeah. but I feel like there's a little bit of a uh, a lingering nuance that's lost in that moment. Sh the one take the one takeaway from this whole these two episodes: what happened to Seth MacFarlane? <laughs> we never saw him again. <laughs> I think that I, I also in my also, research I found out a little bit about that. The replacement that. for Trip is not seen in the second episode. No. And we see him What's as fairly incompetent in the first one. Like the but captain is calling engineering and he's slow to respond. And when he gets there, he's kind of like, I don't know what's going on. Uh, but yeah, Seth MacFarlane, I, I did a little bit of research and apparently there's an unshot scene when uh -huh. the tethering scene takes place. When it, when the tether rips out of the enterprise, there's a whole segment where they didn't have the money to do the special effects shot, but the crane crushes Seth MacFarlane's character and then slowly drags his body toward the opening of the, the shuttle bay. And then it gets ripped out into space. And the final thing we were going to see was Seth MacFarlane's little spinning body fall into a star. So, but they didn't have the money for that, unfortunately. It's too bad. So it's too bad. 
Yeah, too bad. Maybe there will be a director's cut re-release of this at some point. Yeah. Ultimately, though, the storyline around the virus culminates with flocks looking to cure the disease. The Klingons are all like, we are out of time. We don't have an option here. But the doctor suggests to flocks, well, if you help us solve the augment problem and actually create augments, that would keep them from destroying us and buy us time to actually solve the virus issue. So Flocks half goes along with this and there's a little bit of a scooby doo 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 And at the end of the shell game, Flocks reveals to the general, oh, we are actually working on curing the virus by manipulating the augmented DNA. And they come up with this part of the episode, I think was arguably my favorite, where narrowing mm-hmm. it down to four strains, one of these four, mm-hmm. Flox is confident, one of these four will be a cure, but I don't know which one, and it will take me weeks to isolate it and figure it out. And the general looks around the room and says, you got four Klingons right here. And all four of them, without hesitation, take the infection so that they now will just, based on which one of them doesn't die, they will know where the cure lies. I thought that that was fantastic. I thought that that whole thing, and I think I would have enjoyed a little bit more. Again, I keep going back to, I would have liked more. I would have taken away all that special effects stuff between the two ships and the tether. And that would have bought you three or four minutes to have a little bit more of the Klingons celebrating their impending death. Like, you know, the general saying things like, let's drink to the ones of us who won't live. I think there could have been some really cool Klingon moments out of that. Ultimately, though, it turns out the general himself has been the lucky winner. He's gotten the shot that will not kill him. The doctor now knows I don't, but Phlox suggests we have time potentially to, now that we know where the cure lies, we might be able to save you. But ultimately, they're being interrupted by the fact that Krell, who, again, the performance here for Krell, I thought was fantastic. He's demonstrated as being kind of lackadaisical. He is eating worms. He's leaning back and in communication with, it turns out, the nefarious officer from Section 31, and he have been in cahoots this entire time. Their conversation ends with Krell being like, you're no longer useful to me, so let's end this, and cuts the guy off. I liked Krell. I liked Krell's performance, and Krell is showing up to destroy the virus by destroying the research facility. This is all derailed by Flocks intentionally infecting everybody Mm -hmm. on the Klingon ship. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about that element of the story? Because for me, it didn't feel honest to Flocks. Exactly, yeah. Because it's I, the the one thing that would have made it feel more honest was if Flox was it, it sounded like Flox was one hundred percent sure he had the cure. Yeah. So I could see the leap and I could see the logic there of he knows he can cure everybody. He just needs the time. So if I infect these people, I know I can solve the, their problem before you know we run out of time. So it's yeah. like I'm not going to actually kill them. This is just to buy me time. I can get that. But at the same time, that seems like a really huge gamble for Phlox to play. Like, what if he can't get it done in time? He's just literally killed every person on that ship. Yeah. So it's like that doesn't, that's where it's like for me, it, the Phlox that we know doesn't feel like he would take such a big gamble. And it felt like it should have probably been the Klingon doctor. Absolutely. That, that maneuver. That's what I would, Phlox. that's what I wanted to see. I wanted to see the Klingon doctor talking to Phlox about, so this is the cure. And Flock saying, yes, that's that's the cure. And then you see the Klingon doctor switch a canister and transport yep. something up to the ship and have Flocks in a moment after that thing has gone up to say, you didn't send them the cure. You sent them nothing but the contagion. And then have the doctor communicate with the Klingon ship saying, I've just released all of this. You're all now infected. And then Flocks yep. jumping into the conversation, but I have a cure. You can, you can rely on me to provide you with this cure and have there be a tension at the end there between the Klingon's ability and motivation to do that kind of thing where Flox wouldn't do that. I just, I had that moment of like, he's suddenly so cutthroat and it's just like, this is a guy who literally was like, please just kill me because I'm not going to help you like an hour earlier in the storyline. He's like, I'm not going to do anything and is arguing with Klingons 
about their treatment of their own people, it didn't mesh up with him being but willing e- to do that. E- but even with that, to me, it was still a minor issue. It didn't yeah, like it didn't derail everything. It me. didn't knock me completely off. It's like it was like a, uh, I don't think he would have done that, but okay, I'll go with it. But overall, I thought that storyline was really, really good. I enjoyed it. So, I did. I mean, for I did me, overall, well. I give these two. Th- I give these. Two, I give this a, a thumbs up for these two episodes. Definitely think it's worth watching. You just have to go in knowing that there's some really stupid stuff in here. Yeah, but it's outweighed by the smart stuff. Yeah, um, some really quick. More good yeah, than some that. really quick thumb note notes about other elements that are just like, huh? Would include huh? Yep. Uh, Scott Bakula being infected while tied to a chair. Yeah, so that he yep. can thrash around. Like, I mean, they must have done that in one take. It looked. Yep. It did not look good. It was not the best acting no. from Bakula, and it ends up with him gaining ridges. So we end up with a little strange semi Klingon archer at the end of the episode, which again, hand wavy. It doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. Don't worry too hard about it. And then the final scene between Flocks and the Klingon doctor, where we see the Klingon doctor with much less makeup, including he's not even bronzed. He just looks like a pale Klingon mm-hmm. and it's a little wild and it's a little unnecessary. And it ends on arguably one of the most original series type jokes of mm-hmm. Enterprise, where the Klingon doctor says, now that my research is completely derailed, I don't know what I'll do. Maybe I'll go into reconstruction. And Phlox is like, there's going to be a market for it. And then you can almost hear, (laughs) (laughs) it's like, okay, so now we've got an introduction of an element into the Trek universe where there's a period of time where because of the vaccine for this particular virus, Klingons throughout the empire lose their ridges, but then Mm -hmm. pass it on to their children. But eventually that genetic trait resurfaces that now is supposed to be part of the core of the canon. So we will potentially revisit this. And I say that because when we move past Enterprise, and now we are only, we are more than halfway through season four, we are closer to the end of Trek of Enterprise than we are to the beginning. The next step for us is going to be Discovery, where we yeah. will see yet another manifestation of Klingon. So oh, yeah. looking forward to that. <laughs> Wildly different. So yes. So stay tuned for that and stay tuned for Matt and Sean trying desperately to get all of the canon to fit in their heads. We're going to end up with our own ridges, I think. Yes. But please do jump into the comments and let us know what you thought about this episode. Like Matt, I give this a thumbs up. It has moments that just left me going like, really? No, let's not do that. But overall, I was just into it for the this is the first time that enterprise i think has done klingons well yeah and it's because we're not seeing klingons running around as just like gun wielding villains we know them as characters to be far more sophisticated than that but enterprise hasn't yet given us that and this one really does show it i love the depiction of the doctor i love the 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 you see the manifestation of what the warrior cast is doing to Klingon society. And you see what Klingon society underneath that is trying to do to, to continue to act in its own best interest. And I think this episode did a really good job of telling that story, but weigh in the comments. Do you agree next time, Matt, we're going to be talking about the episode bound. Any predictions about what that will be about? Uh, the captain's tied up, pretty tied up, hanging upside down. So, Matt, before we sign off, is there anything we wanted to remind our listeners about? What do you have coming up on your main channel? I have an episode coming up about aquaponics, which you can do at home. You can do it on your kitchen countertop. You could do it in the backyard. You could do it at scale. It's a really interesting way to grow vegetables with fish. It's kind of a really it's a very old concept that's trying to be perfected with new tech. It's pretty interesting. Sounds wild. As for me, you can check out my website, seanfarrell.com. You can also look for my books at any bookseller. That includes Amazon, Bards & Noble, your local bookstore, or your public library. They're available everywhere. 
and keep an eye out as we move toward June when my new series, The Sinister Secrets of Singe, will be releasing. Book one focuses on the boy Noah, who discovers that his father is actually a mad genius who has built robots that might destroy the city. If you'd like to support the show, please consider reviewing us on Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever it was you found this. Go back there, subscribe, give us a like, give us a review, and refer us to your friends. And if you'd like to more directly support us, you can go to trekintime.show, click the Become a Supporter button. That allows you to throw some coins at our heads. The welts heal, and the podcast happens. And when you do that, it automatically makes you an ensign, which means you will be subscribed to our monthly spinoff show, Out of Time, in which we talk about things that don't fit within the confines of this show meaning we talk about maybe other Star Trek, or maybe we talk about Star Wars, fantasy, horror, other sci-fi, maybe some comic books, maybe some novels, other podcasts, whatever catches our fancy, we talk about it there. Matt's laughing because the list goes on and on and on. (laughs) (laughs) All of that really does help support the show. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening or watching, and we'll talk to you next time.